Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Still Watching, the television podcast from Vanity Fair that today will be about not just one show, not just several shows, but an entire galaxy of shows that are coming in the near future, so to speak. And I am Katie Rich. I am the awards and audio editor for Vanity Fair. And there's really only one person I could be doing this with, Anthony Bresnikan, fresh from a galaxy far, far away. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. You know, uh, I just... Uh... I just wrote, well, I didn't just write it, but we just published the cover story for the June issue. And it's all about Star Wars. And as you said, this constellation of shows that's emerging on the horizon. And so there's a lot to talk about. Including one very close on the horizon, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi, which premieres on May 27th on Friday on Disney+. Plus. We are recording this immediately before that show premieres, even though you wrote this massive cover story about Star Wars. You have not seen it. I don't think you're lying to me that they like that Lucasfilm gave you access. You uh, really haven't seen it, right? No, they've kept it under wraps. I'll see it Friday at Celebration. Oh, yeah. Wow. What a Star Wars. The Star Wars ahead. convention that draws people from all over the world. There's really so much to get into. And I feel really grateful that we're starting where we are because I'm someone who is Star Wars I know things about Star Wars, but extremely casually. I have seen a a good bit of it, but not all of it. And I I feel like I always need a new starting point. And this feels like a great point. That's a great place to be. You know, I know a lot about Star Wars. I've written about it for years and years, but I don't know as much as some fans. And uh, I think that's okay because I have questions and there are things I don't know and things I'm curious about. And it's a good way to be a bridge between the creators, the hardcore fans, and the casual people, which is the majority of people, you know, most yeah. people have a, have a have a have a friendly relationship with Star Wars, uh, and uh, and yet they don't know everything there is to know about it. And we can tell you what you need to know. And of course, yeah. there's much more beyond that. It's funny to be this close to a Star Wars series uh, that's new and not be doing this show with Joanna Robinson, though. So I just have to shout out our former 
our our former friend. She's not our friend anymore. <laughs> our former colleague and forever friend, Joanna. And, uh, and the founder of this here. show, who founder is here with us, here with us always in spirit. But, you know, Anthony, I oh. think our, our um, you know, the spirit of uh, Luke Skywalker, who's been digitized and brought into the cloud and brought back when needed. I think we have a little bit of Joanna. Uh, that, that can, uh, is uh, she a force ghost? She, I mean, if, <laughs> if there was ever an episode of Still Watching for Force Ghost Joanna, uh, let's let's hear a bit of our Force Ghost Joanna with us today. Oh. I'm Joanna Robinson and pew, 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 pew. <laughs> we have a they, Joanna Robinson soundboard. Fortunately, yeah. we are going to digitize her voice. We're going to create an AI and yes. uh, we'll just have the VF robot Joanna that joins us on all these podcasts. What? Unfortunately, she's, <laughs> oh, the one she who, is laughing. she's the one who would say smart things and I'm the one who would go pew, pew, pew. So it's kind of unfair. Um, thank you to our producer, Dave Gonzalez. Uh, also, current friend of Joanna's for uh, helping us with that magic trick. And Joanna will, <laughs> Joanna will ask you your permission later to make sure it's okay that we put that Sick. in there. Dope. <laughs> there it is. We've gotten the approval. Thank you, AI Joanna. Well, and also Joanna is a lot, like long, long, long time fan of Ewan McGregor. And I know she's been talking about Obi-Wan over on the Ringerverse and her new uh, universal podcast, but it, I do feel like it is right to have her spirit with us as Ewan McGregor returns to Star Wars, something yes. that I think a lot of people never thought would happen. I think Ewan McGregor never thought would happen. So we're going to get into the full Star Wars universe, but I do think we should start with Obi-Wan, we which should. is premiering and the I, soonest. Um, and I'm glad you gave her podcast on Ringerverse a, a shout yes. out, because if we're going to... Uh, assimilate her into our show we should at least shout out where she is now yeah, exactly. over at the ringer she just did a great uh epic podcast about just about the history of obi-wan so after you finish listening to us go go dive into that if you, yes. if you need a, more of your obi-wan fix so Absolutely. love to you joanna um so let's talk about uh ewan mcgregor i think to start with because in your big uh star wars piece you know he, he talked about how he was really hesitant to return to this character for so long and it was maybe five years ago uh, where he introduced a screening and thought, hey, this character means a lot. And the feeling that I got maybe behind the the, um, the reading between the lines is that mm -hmm. the re reception of the prequels really hurt him and it took a long time to get over. Was that the vibe you got too? Totally. And I think it also, it, it, it shows just how people change over time. You know, uh, in talking to him, I was reminded of Leonard Nimoy. And of course he played... The iconic character of Spock, the Vulcan chief science officer on Star Trek, and he wrote a he wrote an autobiography, right? That was called "I Am Not Spock." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then years later, he wrote a second autobiography that the title was "I Am Spock." And uh, <laughs> and I think you know the relationship that people have with their characters. You know, the, when you have a, the whole world sees you in one way. Uh, the impulse is to be like, no, 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 that's not me. I'm more than that. I'm different from that. Mm -hmm. And what Ewan told me was, you know, he was he was starting all these sort of indie, gritty, uh, actorly British dramas. He was in, like an indie film star. And then he's starring in Star Wars, which is this gigantic intellectual property franchise. And, you know, he loves Star Wars. I think he was always upfront about that and playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, picking up the mantle of that character from the he late He was not Alec like Alec Guinness, where as soon as he was done, he was like, yeah. fuck that. <laughs> Alec Guinness was like paying children to not watch Star Wars, you know, or urging them not to. Uh, you know, and also like, uh, really, really, Alec, you got to be like that down yeah, on it. Yeah, but, he, was, um, he was he was not ready to be ahead of his time in terms of franchise filmmaking. Yeah, but it's sort of like... You know, Ewan was sort of like, oh, I'll do this. And then the reaction to the prequels was the, the criticism was very harsh. And he told me, you know, that's hard to hear, especially when you have two more to do. 
Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that, uh, you know, Hayden Christensen experienced when he was playing the older version of Anakin Skywalker. Is, uh, Star Wars fandom is vast. And I would say most Star Wars fans are respectful and decent people. But it's the loud and disruptive and unkind people who sometimes steal the megaphone and steal yeah. your attention, at least. And so, you know, if anybody's read interviews with Ahmed Best, who, who played the Jar Jar Binks character, you, you know, he went into a very dark place and was really hurt by some of the, not just criticism, but, but cruel things that people say. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the unfortunate things about these fandoms that are, I'm not just going to single out Star Wars here, but, but, but these sort of vast global fandoms is because they include so many people, they include a fair number of, uh, of uh, let's say, un- unpleasant people or trolls, too. Sure. Those people, they don't just say, I don't like this, or I don't care for that character, or I hope this character doesn't come back, or I don't, I don't care for this actor, or this performance isn't so great. They really get personal and they really get mean. Frankly, I, you know, even when you write about Star Wars, you can pick up on this if you, if you, if you tune into those wavelengths, which is why yeah. I kind of tune them out. Yeah. Um, because sometimes people are just mean. And I think. Yeah, you won't uh, have a Twitter handle to plug at the end of this because wisely you were not on Twitter. I'm not uh, on Twitter. And, many more of us should make. And I know some people are like, oh, were you driven off? It's like, no, I just kind of didn't want that in my head anymore. And I spent you a drove lot of time yourself on off. I, I, I closed up my own shop, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I wasn't canceled or anything. <laughs> I wasn't chased off Twitter, but, but I, 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 it got to a point where I was like, you know, I don't, I just don't know that this is fruitful to hear, uh, yeah. because you just get, you just get the angry people so often. Well, and, and it feels uh, like you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen had, had come to their own version of that, right? Yes, like they had exactly. let themselves move on until getting drawn that, back in like you do. That's just it. And, you know, what's interesting is the prequels were very harshly criticized. And, you know, that affected George Lucas, too. He was, like, used to everybody loving Star Wars. And then he was getting a lot of heat. And, you know, the original Star Wars movies have just as much clunky stuff in them. And uh, uh, they're not perfect films, but they're fun. And what we found now over the years is as kids who grew up with the prequels have come of age and have become journalists or become critics or just used social, their, their individual platform as fans on social media, uh, there's been a reevaluation of the prequels. Again, uh, nobody's going to say they're perfect films, but, but they do have a special place in people's hearts. And I think that's what Ewan discovered when mm-hmm. he went and hosted, uh, you know, introduced, and I think maybe it probably answered a few questions about Revenge of the Sith. Uh, a, a number of years ago, he saw people camping out and he was like, oh, maybe this thing that I kind of pushed off that I thought didn't work. Maybe maybe it does mean something to people. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, as he's gotten older, you know, he, he watched uh, I, I did a standalone story in addition to uh, our main cover story where I broke out a lot of like the detail from these interviews that didn't fit into the the already titanic sized uh, yeah we'll no we'll talk about stuff. a bunch of those especially as we get into some of these other shows one of the things he said was on the volume uh where they shot obi-wan you know they put on these giant screens which are usually reserved for creating landscapes and and sets they they were playing uh uh you know old footage of obi-wan's greatest hits including him as a young man and alec guinness and this was done for a uh, one of those behind the scenes documentaries that i'm sure will come out in a few months but he said it was really strange and really emotional to see his himself as a young man and realize how much he has changed. And I think they're bringing all that to the Obi-Wan series is this is Obi-Wan in middle age. He's not the young uh, Padawan apprentice with the little uh, rat tail, the little, uh, the little uh, what do you call it, the little braided thing that would hang down. That's the I- indicator of a Padawan learner. Yeah. 
party in the back, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but they're, um, you know, they're, they're bringing this aspect to Obi-Wan of a guy who's really reevaluating his past. And in Ewan's crazy case, he reevaluated it in a very positive way and thought, yeah, you know what? I'd like to go back to Star Wars. Let's do yeah. it. I mean, the thing that's fascinating about what we know about Obi-Wan so far, we know, mm-hmm. you know, he's on Tatooine. It's obviously him in the age between Ewan McGregor of 25 years ago and Alec Guinness. Um, and we know that Darth Vader's in it. And Hayden Christensen is in your, in your piece. There's these incredible photos by Annie Leibovitz of him rehearsing uh, backstage with his lightsaber. But we don't really know how or to what extent. And your mm. story isn't able to reveal much. The trailer doesn't reveal, reveal very much. What are you hoping for or expecting in terms of how we revisit both of these characters? Well, one of the things I was able to reveal is, um, you know, you want to be protective of storylines. I don't think the fans or even the casual fans want to have uh, things told to them in an article that they would rather discover on their own. Right. So but what I can reveal is that you don't hire Hayden Christensen to play Darth Vader. You need a big guy. and the suit, and if you can get him, James Earl Jones to do yeah. the voice. Uh, but to play the human being that was lost within Darth Vader, this character who, you know, he's a cosmic space wizard, right? So that's not a lot that's relatable there. It's more entertaining and more fanciful than most of the things we encounter in our lives. But I do think we can all relate to the idea, the notion of a friend or a family member who goes to a dark place and we decide, I just can't run with you anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to know you anymore. We've all had that Facebook friend that we've had to unlike, (laughs) unfollow. And Darth Vader is kind of that. And Hayden plays the Anakin Skywalker, the human being, the decent person who was lost inside. uh, I think I described Darth Vader as a mechanical sarcophagus, (laughs) you know, that... There's there's this evilness there. There's this anger. There's this rage. But when you see a friend that you used to know that you've lost lost a connection with, you you all, you can't help but think of like the person they used to be. And is that person still in there? And that's why you hire Hayden Christensen. So I think it's it's pretty clear we're going to see him without the mask. We're going to see the scarred, burned face at some point. That's my guess. It's yeah. not something I have intimate knowledge of. And your that's hope, I guess. would assume, like you want to see those two actors face to face. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see and literally face to face like yeah. uh, my hope is that at some point there's a fight between them. And we do know, uh, you know, you and McGregor described shooting a scene where he comes face to face with Darth Vader and he was really freaked out, like because he was blocking the scene or rehearsing it. And then they put the mask on him and suddenly it's like, oh, it's not an actor coming at me. It's actually Darth Vader. And he said he compared it to a scene in Big Fish where there was a, a lion that had to roar behind him. And he's like. <laughs> inability to act because like fight or flight kicked in <laughs> and so he was like i was just terrified and so i i would like to see a scene where that mask gets destroyed or knocked off it happened in star wars rep uh the, the animated series rebels when ahsoka tano the character who's played in live action by rosario dawson we'll get more to her too yeah yeah she battles darth vader who was her she was apprenticed to anakin skywalker when he was a jedi so she's now, you know, a grown woman and she's battling her old friend, her old mentor, who's now an evil tyrant. And, you know, they just kind of slash the helmet. So you see his eye come through his human eye. And I would love for there to be some aspect of Obi-Wan seeing Anakin Skywalker's face with the mask either removed or destroyed the way 
Luke saw him at the end of Return of the Jedi when he took the mask off and mm -hmm. and and Darth Vader says, I want to see you with my own eyes. Right. Kind of a beautiful scene. So maybe we'll get that. Um, yeah, it made me think of that scene at the end of Attack of the Clones. And I have not revisited those movies the way mm -hmm. that a lot of people have. But that fight with them in the lava field, which is as far as I know, like, I don't know if that's the last time we see Obi-Wan, but it's pretty much. So that's Revenge of the, of the Sith, not Attack of the oh, Clones. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the last okay. one, the third one. Yeah, I'll um, push up my glass. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's no, uh, Revenge what, of the Sith. That's what you're here for. <laughs> Um, but it, that, you know, that scene is kind of silly. Like it, it suffers from a lot of the overdose of CGI that a lot of those prequels do, but the emotion mm -hmm. of that scene is completely vivid. And I remember it well, even having seen it at a time when I knew even less about Star Wars than I do now. And that's the like depth of emotion that it sounds like they feel. And it sounds like, you know, the way that they talk about the emotions that showrunner Deborah Chow talks about it, that they're trying to bring to this show too. Deborah Chow was one of the most interesting interviews I did because I expected her to say, I fought to include Darth Vader because we really want to see these guys go head to head. You know, we want to mm -hmm. see uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. And instead, she said, no, these two, these two characters love each other. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, that's like not where I thought you were going to go with this. And she used those terms. She's like, they are uh, their lives were entwined. They were very close friends. There's a brotherhood between them. And how could you not still be thinking about this person uh, when you were that close? And it's not that they're, it's that love is not necessarily there anymore, but they did once. And that leaves a hole, right? That leaves a vacancy in your, in your life, yeah. in your spirit. And I'm like, what a great soulful way to talk about these characters. You know, that's yeah. I think, and I think that like love in Star Wars has often been a kind of abstract concept you know i think mm -hmm. that the relationship between um anakin and padme has its defenders but it's not ever something that felt especially visceral but i think the two of them and maybe it's because these actors had an affection that they built together mm -hmm. or because you know maybe obi-wan and darth vader are some of the most uh the deepest characters in star wars lore but i i do think you can feel that depth of emotion the two of them and it's really promising that that's what this show wants to dive into i think it's very promising and i'm really looking forward to the show i hope I hope it changes our perspective on things. That's the thing that Star Wars does best when it does it. Is perspective on it, things in Star Wars or outside of in Star, Star Wars? Well, in life, hey, it's always good to see something and be changed or moved. But I, I mean, yeah. uh, just sort of reevaluating our, our point of view on uh, what we think we know. Because I think that's what science fiction and fantasy does best is it just, it just adjusts your point of view enough to maybe understand your own feelings or the story that you love or your place in the world just a little bit and get a little extra dimension on it. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm oh. really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs>
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, a little bit more on Obi-Wan because, again, we don't know what this show is about. But watching the trailer, I'm really intrigued by Moses Ingram's role. And Mm. I think, you know, the fact that Star Wars was extremely, extremely white franchise when it started and the shows have made increasingly better, uh, more efforts to include not just women, but people of color in this wide range. And like her role is intriguing and kind of mysterious and scary. Um, and I just I hope that she is as major a figure in this as these two um, men who we've been talking about. Oh, I think it's pretty clear that she is uh, going to be a you know very prominent figure, if not the main villain, maybe mm-hmm. the figure there's always Star Wars always likes to give you figures that are sort of pushed and pulled between light and dark yeah. and good and evil. And I would not be surprised if there's a little bit of that in her. Um, Although she is a part of this Inquisitor unit that's hunting Jedi, uh, I think there's always potential for redemption. That's a common theme through Star Wars. And we know we're not getting that with Darth Vader just yet. Yeah. And I don't think you'll get it from Rupert Friend's The High Inquisitor. That guy is fully committed to the dark side, but I would be curious to see. He's a figure we know already, right? From uh, animated series or books or something? Yes, we've seen him in Rebels. Uh, He's uh, uh, a figure who... uh, it kind of leads the unit. He's sort of the Takamata of these Inquisitors. And uh, you just say that like that's something I know what it is. What's that? Oh, Takamata was the uh, was the Grand Inquisitor of the um, a Spanish Inquisition. So uh, oh, I don't mean it wasn't a Star Wars thing. That was a history thing that I did. Yeah, know. that was actual history of, of our time. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, look, I would love to sound smart, but I know who Takamata is because of Mel Brooks and the uh, History of the World Part One, <laughs> the Inquisition. Here we look, go, Brooks, the Inquisition. What Mel Brooks a show. is also an essential part of world history, so uh, that's fine. I know you're wishing that we go away. <laughs> But the Inquisitors are here and they're here to stay. And uh, but I don't know that Reva is necessarily going to be uh, fully committed. Like she's the kind of character that I could see almost uh, again. I am projecting here. Please do not listen to this and assume I'm I'm dropping secrets on you. But I wonder if we will discover that her character is a little bit like Tommy Lee Jones's character in The Fugitive. Oh, my God, what a dream. We need 800 more of those characters. Where she's hunting him down. She's trying to find Obi-Wan. But then gradually, maybe she realizes, are we one of the baddies? Like, is this right? Mm -hmm. Like, Or or I might be totally wrong. And uh, Moses Ingram is just going to fully commit to evil and um, give us a very bleak, very nihilistic, Jedi Hunter. I'm down for either one of those, you know, but yeah. you you know, uh you mentioned uh, you know, her, her background, her identity. I I think uh, you know, obviously that's a wonderful thing is to make sure that everybody feels included and represented in these these shows that are set in other galaxies and other times. Uh but I I I'm I'm ready to just take her as herself as on on her own merits as just a really cool star wars character and whoever I, she is I think in this she, galaxy we can't she's a wonderful actress and you know we've seen her in uh, uh in the queen's gambit and she's so charismatic she's so charming 
uh, I, I love the idea of seeing her a little less charming, a little more intimidating. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, no less charismatic. Up, though. You bring up what I think is the central like challenge of this kind of show. Like, you know, with the Mandalorian, you've, you've got some sense of where you are in history, but these characters you introduce can go wherever they want. But Obi-Wan and Darth Vader both, we know where they start and we know where they end. Like there is a mm-hmm. really fixed endpoint for both of these characters. And it's not like they can't change. And I think with Obi-Wan especially, we're going to see him get to the point of, you know, ready to get back into the fight where we find him in the first Star Wars. But like there's not as much growth you can do with them. So I think you have to rely on more characters, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Like growth and change and what will happen to this person. That was the brilliant thing with Ahsoka Tano when she was introduced to the Clone Wars animated series george lucas and dave filoni uh you know did that show together and and that's where we first met ahsoka and okay well ahsoka is not in the original trilogy and we don't really know what becomes of her does she die you know before those events like if she doesn't die why wouldn't she be fighting the empire mm-hmm. uh, does she become part of the empire uh if that's the case why isn't she fighting the rebels like where is she and it created this intense uncertainty about her. What becomes of Ahsoka? And also we know there are no more Jedi, right? Uh, Luke meets Obi-Wan in, in the original 1977 Star Wars film, and the Jedi are all but extinct, right? And so does that mean Ahsoka is dead? We don't know. Yeah. And gradually we've gotten an answer to that question, how she progresses beyond the era of the Clone Wars. And of course, we now know we see her portrayed in live action as Rosario Dawson in events that take place after Return of the Jedi. So Ahsoka has been kind of existing there. So you're, you know, but she was, you know, behind the scenes, low key working against the Empire, uh, often as a secret agent named Fulcrum. Uh, That's some of the background on her. But I'm pointing this out just by way of agreeing with you that, yes, you need those characters whose fates are not determined, who aren't known. Uh-huh. We know that we see the outline and the sketch and maybe more than the sketch. Uh, but, but we we have the drawing of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. We know where they begin. We know when they meet. We know where they end. And I think what a show like this does for those characters that we know and are already so well defined is this adds this colors in between those lines. This adds texture and dimension to the silhouette or more than the silhouette than we already know. Yeah. I wanted like, this is a broader question about this before mm-hmm. maybe we move on to Andor, which is the next one after this. But, you know, you take the Marvel Universe, which has introduced multiverses and in comics have this long, long history of uh, something happens and you undo it and it comes back. And, you know, there's not that continuity. And Star yeah. Wars, from what Kathleen Kennedy told you in your piece, like they seem pretty committed to it. It is all one story. And that gets more and more complicated the more and more shows like this that you make. Do you think that's sustainable? Do you think that is the right way for Star Wars to go? Uh, I don't think it's sustainable for everything. This is just my opinion here. Not, sure, I'm not sure. speaking for Kathy Kennedy or anything else. But right now, the books that are published, the comics that are published, the TV shows and the movies are all canon. Anything that's made now is canon. Now, there are a whole ton of games and comics and books that were written before this sort of modern renaissance for Star Wars, the when Disney bought the Lucasfilm and uh, began making new shows and stuff, and they decanonized a lot of what's called the expanded universe. And they made a bunch of people novel. mad, right? Well, yeah, look, <laughs> if you're getting mad about that, I think you need to 
change your priorities. Sure. There are other things worth getting mad about. Essentially, you enjoyed those books. You enjoyed those comics. You enjoyed those cartoons. Uh, but like, you know, if you're mad, if you're mad that they're not official anymore, that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy them. And, and you know, Dave Filoni loves to grab little things from that era and put them back into the shows. What that essentially means is that's their way. That's the modern, the contemporary cre creator's way of saying, don't box us into narratives that were written long ago. Um, we're clearing those. They're not official anymore. You can still read them. You can still buy them. They're still in print in a lot of cases, but they're not dictating the current direction of the stories we're telling. You know, yeah. that's all that means. And, you know, and they bring them back in fun ways. If you remember in Solo, the standalone Solo movie, oh, yeah. uh, Donald Glover's Lando stays in the Falcon, in the Millennium Falcon, while they go off and explore a mine on a mission to... Mm -hmm. What are they gathering? I think they're gathering oh, some fuel rods, right? Not, like a, some, not, not a clue. <laughs> yeah, they're, I think they're gathering some fuel. And like, um, you know, he stays in there and he's he's seen like sort of just chilling and dictating a story. And he's mm -hmm. narrating one of his own adventures. And like that's taken from a novel that was published years ago. So about Lando, there was like a whole series of Lando novels, the, you know, the extended adventures of Lando Calrissian. And like, I love that they bring that in and... And what they call it is is the expanded universe, but also legends, you know, and one of Dave Filoni's uh -huh. uh, philosophies as he's made the animated shows is there's always a little bit of truth in legends. So we're not we're not lassoed to that as a narrative structure, as a as a true history, but we can borrow things from it and we can incorporate those things from quote unquote legends and put them into the official storytelling. So Lando can tell maybe he's. Maybe he's writing his own novel, right? Maybe he's telling a fanciful story about himself sure. that didn't really happen. Or maybe he's maybe those stories are real and now they're being uh, you know, woven back in through the movies. And uh, you know, I think that uh Leslie Headland, who's the showrunner of the series Acolyte, the Acolyte yeah. that's coming yeah. up. The, you know, uh Kathy Kennedy told me, yeah, she's reading those expanded universe books and weaving things from them into Acolyte, which again those people that you mentioned are mad that their stories that they bought or have on their shelves are no longer official. Well, they might be official again. You just got to give the mm. contemporary creators a chance to just pick and choose. And frankly, Marvel is doing this too. You know, they had those Netflix shows. Um, they had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sure, uh, so sure. The Netflix shows were like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Now. They're not part of the canon, but look, they brought uh, Charlie Cox back as uh, Daredevil in the most recent Spider-Man movie. Now, that doesn't mean that all of the all of the uh, Daredevil shows, all those episodes are canon. Uh, but it sounds like moving forward, they're going to use him and sort of recanonize his version of the character. So they're going to keep parts of it and they might cast off other parts. That doesn't mean you can't still watch Daredevil and enjoy it. It's still there. Yeah. It's not being destroyed. It's not like. Well, frankly, George Lucas saying there's not going to be the old version of Star Wars. Now there's just the revised version. Which is still uh, the case, you, right? Like, can you see the original version of Star Wars these days? I think you can bootleg it a bunch of places. But That's like, yeah, I don't know so that they've ever put out me. the original. That's you know, so revision. crazy, right? Yeah, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> I know. Wants, I know this is a detour, but man. I, I can tell you as somebody who wrote a book years ago that I made edits between the the. uh 
the hardback and the paperback. Uh, I did I, I'm mostly fixing little like typos or something, but like uh, the, the proofreaders missed the first time. But it added like one line to it, and I I would prefer whenever a friend is reading it, I'm like, oh, you should read the paperback version. I would like, call that different from inserting CGI uh, creatures in the background yeah. of uh, Tatooine, but you know, here, who you know, am I to say? Francis Coppola is revising a lot of his older movies, and just you know, I can do that a little better. And you know, yeah. I, I, you don't have to love that, but that is a thing that creative but people want to right do. To do it. Um, okay, you know. let's let's talk about Andor, which is the next uh, series that will be debuting on Disney Plus uh, sometime this summer, I believe. So late like, summer, I would look for it. August, late August, or yeah, around, at the same time expect. that Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones shows are going to be premiering. That is going to be a boom time. Uh, I guess check back here, uh, here in a few months for maybe as much we'll coverage. We'll be spending less time coming. with our loved ones while we watch uh, all the TV we have to watch. Sounds great. Um, so Andor is an interesting case because it's another story with a fixed ending. We saw. Cassian Andor in Rogue One. We know that he dies in Rogue One. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Um, but it, there does seem to be a little bit more room to play around. And I thought the way that Tony Gilroy, the show, I guess he's the showrunner, um, and yes. Diego Luna talked about it in your piece, like it sounds like it might even be a different genre than some of the other Star Wars. Like they say, they sound really ambitious about how they want this show to go. Yeah, it's it's longer, 12 episodes and a second season of 12 episodes. It's already uh, uh, in pre-production. And so are they only that's... doing two seasons? Like, is, is there like a set 24 episode plan? Well, he said Gilroy told me that he was le- this was leading right into um, Rogue One, yeah. the second season. <laughs> they and do have a hard out on uh, when they have there they was the talk. There was talk like, well, maybe this will be five seasons. There were like some rumors. I think there was someone, one of the crew members uh, said like, oh, I think it's going to be three seasons. I don't think that that has changed necessarily. I okay. think what may has changed, may have changed is the way they're bundling them. So uh-huh. if you think about it. 12 episodes is long for a modern TV series. 12 episodes is long. Yeah. Obi-Wan's just going to be, I think it's six episodes. And that and, was a for a miniseries, right? Like, there's no one talking about a second season of Obi Wan, at least. No, not yet. but you know, look, it's it, this. <laughs> this picks up ten years into his exile, which means there's ten more years of storytelling. Okay, if they okay. want, that's if true. they big want. little lies prove that you can make a second season if you want to. But you are kind of running out of runway. Yes. You know, and one of the things Kathy Kennedy told me is we can't keep chipping away at the era that George explored. Like we can explore some of this stuff, but eventually we're going to have to move beyond it or to mm-hmm. different characters because you do start to just, you know, you keep adding on and adding on until you kind of close yourself in and they're getting there with, they're getting there with Obi-Wan, you know, there isn't, there isn't yeah. a whole lot of room left to explore what he's been up to. But you, you know, that said, you can always find something somewhere. I always think of yeah. the beauty and the beast Christmas sequel from uh, Disney animation. And, wow. uh, uh, I forget the exact name of it, but it's like, well, how is there a Beauty and the Beast sequel? He turns back into a prince at the end of the movie. And it's like the logic of it is, yes, but she was in that castle for a long time. And during that time, <laughs> Christmas happened. So this That's story true. is the whole story you didn't see that happens within the context bookended by either end of uh, of of Beauty and the Beast. And so yeah. like, OK, you can always parse that a little bit shave it just a little finer you know like the but garlic so with, but with, andor, with andor though they do have a lot of room to explore yes and they're telling 24 episodes of tv which in terms of old the old network format is one season yeah or maybe you could get four seasons out of that if you only do six episodes and it sounds like they just are like well why do that let's just give you two seasons 
12 episodes each. Um, it's, I think it's really, it's one pizza and it's just a matter of how you're slicing it up uh, yeah. in terms of seasons. And, and so I think, I don't think that necessarily a lot has changed with Andor, except that they're just going to give it in two parts. So I want to make you an offer and you don't have to take me up on it. But in your piece, you kind of get into some of the details of Andor that they were willing to share and say, if you're a Star Wars fan, some of this may be ringing a bell, like not to spoil anything for anyone. Mm -hmm. Now here in the safety of this podcast, do you want to make some of those connections for me of what seems like it is echoing other things in Star Wars? Because it all went over my head. Okay, what, you're talking about the extra, the bonus story I did with Tony Gilroy. I think so. And... Where, like, he talks about, you know, he says, our show starts with a very simple, almost film noir situation for a thief. A skeevy kind of guy gets in big trouble, tries to sell something he has to save his ass. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm imagining that's Cassian Andor, how we meet him, because we talk about how he, like, yes. kind of li lived his life as a refugee, and the season tracks his decision to fight the Empire. Um, does that feel like it's a reference to something else that exists in Star Wars lore? Well, one thing it does is it 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 it, it echoes and parallels what um, Felicity Jones's character Jin Erso does in ah, Rogue One. Is okay. essentially the the rebellion is is keeping an eye on and recruiting people who live outside the law. So you've mm -hmm. already shown a propensity to resist authority. Who? What can you do for us? You want to yeah. fight back and make a real mark, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, I think, is kind of interesting, that that's where they're drawing their talent, is okay. from people who are willing to live outside the law. And I think of something like Fritz Lang's movie M, right, mm -hmm. which was about the the underworld. I think, is it in, is it in Berlin? Uh, I think so. You know, the, the thieves and the gamblers and the prostitutes and the uh, uh, bootleggers, you know, there's a guy going around killing children. And so the police are cracking down on everybody. Mm -hmm. And so it's the underworld figures who say, well, we got to find this killer ourselves so that we can get back to business. You know, the, <laughs> the businesses that don't prey upon children and leave their, their balls bouncing alone in the street while they vanish. Yeah. Like, so, um, you know, I, I don't know that that's an exact parallel, but I do think it's interesting that the rebellion is like fueled by outlaws. Even Han mm -hmm. Solo is a I was he just going to say Han Solo, yeah. He was a smuggler, and you know he was not a lot allied with the uh, uh, the rebels. You know he was kind of in it for himself. That was what made his character so interesting. But but obviously I, I he always, became then he became a general, right? So like, I, I always uh, think of the way that uh, Tracy Jordan on Thirty Rock describes Han Solo, where it's like you think he doesn't care, but he does. He it's, does, you, yeah. But it and, never and, gets and, old. And I think that's what they're talking about here with Andor is that this uh -huh. is a guy who. He decides I'm going to I'm going to look out for myself. You know, the empire is stomping all over people. And look, this is what happens in fascist regimes is you have mm. people who say, I can't change this or I tried. It didn't work. Now I'm going to keep my head down and save my own skin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, that that's a real phenomenon. There are the people who keep their heads down and try to live. There are people who stick their necks off. A lot of times they get their head chopped off. And so. Mm -hmm you know what what is andor's relationship to that he's a nihilist we hear all this stuff about how he doesn't care i think i think tony gilroy says he could give a shit about any of that which i thought was like i love when you get a quote like that this is very blunt and not very you get, clearly that is not a press release that's not press release language <laughs> that's what um, journalism is man you get those people to say what they really think say, uh, yeah yeah that's what journalism is getting a source yeah. to say a swear <laughs> and uh but i you know it has a lot of speaking parts and it also i made the comparison tony gilroy did not make this comparison but as he was describing it to me and as i was listening to the transcript 
listening to the interview, reading the transcript, I kept thinking of Better Call Saul. Because yeah, that's I also love a, that part of it. That's also a story that like it has it focuses on a kind of, you know, guy who's not really following the rules and living outside the law who gets drawn in deeper and deeper. Now, it's not an exact corollary, not the same kind of story. But you also sure. have these other stories where you have Gus Fring and you have the cartel stories, which kind of are, are, are a melody that's playing and interweaving um, with the, you know, the rhythms of uh, of of Saul's story, of Jimmy mm-hmm. slash Saul Goodman's story. And they have a parallel story in Andor that focuses on the political movement, the leadership of the rebellion and how mm-hmm. that emerges from the actual le- formerly legitimate political class. You know, yeah. so you've got street level people like Andor hustling, selling. It sounds like he's like stolen something and is selling stolen goods. And then you have somebody like Mon Mothma, mm-hmm. who's also featured in our Annie Leibovitz photo spread. Yeah. Played by Genevieve O'Reilly. What a is, what a name and what a look. Like that is Star Wars has always been so good at like giving someone a name that makes no sense, but you look at them, you're like, yeah, that's a Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. I always thought there was something motherly about that name, right? There's yeah. maybe it's just the M's, you know, like Mom, yeah. <laughs> Mon, <laughs> Darth, Dark, Dark Vader, yeah. Darth Father, Dark, Dark Father, Father yeah. you know, like yeah. Uh, and she's clad in white. She just looks like your mom on vacation at the beach. <laughs> All she needs is a <laughs> little green only, boxer. Oh my god! Uh, and, and, and casual fans may remember this character from Return of the Jedi. She's in one scene, uh, played by uh, Carolyn Blackiston back then in the eighties, and she got, does the briefing and says they've rebuilt the Death Star. It's back. It's incomplete. Might be operational, might not, but we have the plans and we got to blow this one up too. And she says, many Bothans died to bring us this information. To this day, nearly 40 years later, we do not know what a Bothan is. There's no, <laughs> there's no illustration of them. They were in a video game, but they were like translucent. They could disappear. So wow. we've not really seen them. And uh, we don't really know who they are or how many died. Uh, how many were left? <laughs> you know, what you, is a Bothan? Is that a is that a is that a is that just like a planetary distinction? The way like you know, I'm a Southern Californian, or is that like uh, species? Like what is it? We don't know, but that's the line that made Mon Mothma famous. And do we? What? We, how do you account for? Like, because I think that line is fantastic too, but I don't know why. Like, why does many Bothans die? Just like roll around in your head like that? Because it, like I said earlier, it's the outline of a story without being the actual story. I think it functions mm. in the same way as Alec Guinness telling Mark Hamill, your father and I fought together in the Clone Wars. Now mm-hmm. we have seven episodes, seven seasons of animation that tell us exactly what the Clone Wars are. We saw it in, uh, we saw the wars begin in Attack of the Clones. We saw the resolution in Revenge of the Sith. Now we know everything about that. But at the time it was like, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. Like, what <laughs> yeah. are the... What is yeah. that? You know, yeah. like it's tantalizing. So the notion many Bothans died to bring us this information is like, what happened? Like, well, yeah. that sounds ominous, you know, like, like, okay, how, how many is many? And what's a Bothan? And what happened? Do you think we'll get Bothans? And I know this is just your guess. So like, I, are you hoping that there will be Bothans or do we want it to stay a mystery? Well, longer? there wouldn't be Bothans in this story. Or maybe okay. there are. I mean, there well, got to be somewhere. They could have right? been around forever, right? They could have been around forever. Maybe we'll finally figure that out. But the Bothans, that line comes 
after Empire Strikes Back. So this is like a Return of the Jedi, not yeah. Well, you know, after Cassian, Cassian Andor dies, Cassian Andor's story ends with um, the very start of 1977 Star Wars. You know, they hand yep. off the file that Cassian helped steal, and that's yep. what Princess Leia stashes in R2-D2 when her ship is overtaken by Darth Vader. So, yep. you know, that's where his story ends, and they're not doing any kind of retcon where, no, he survived the, the blast that destroyed that world. Nope. Yeah, nobody would it's like just, that, right? I think it would... I think that would... That would uh, eliminate the sacrifice that was made. Like you could bring yeah. Mace Windu back. That's the Jedi played by uh, Samuel Jackson. Sam Jackson because he got yeah. thrown out a window. And like, yeah. oh, the idea that he returns or Darth Maul cut in half, but then he lives for a while as a mechanical spider. And then he, you know, he uses prosthetic legs and comes back Wait, to did, the gang. Did that happen? Yeah, that really happened. When did that happen? <laughs> that happened in the animation is that he uh, he ended up with these these sort of like lower limbs that were uh like spider-like or crab-like. And oh, then cuz he shows up in solo, right? And like that was And then he shows up in solo and people are like, yeah. "How is this dude alive? We saw him get like bisected." And that's how he lived. Is he was cut off at the waist and mm -hmm. he now has prosthetic legs. And he used to have like crab mechanical crab legs. And now, you know, he's got he's bipedal again. And um, yeah, you know, we know from Star Wars that that's a thing. Luke gets his hand cut off and they yeah. reattach a mechanical one. Darth Vader is mostly he's, I don't think he has any of his limbs now. He's all mechanical, just sort of the core, his head and torso are human, human ish. And um, okay. wait, I need to bring us back to Andor. <laughs> let's uh -huh. let's just, yeah, let's go back. Uh, well, so I feel like Rogue One has had a really interesting legacy. It was the mm -hmm. first Star Wars movie that kind of got off of the Skywalker saga. I think it had it was a hit, but kind of had an odd reception. And then maybe Solo came out and kind of uh, people thought were even more disappointing. But I think it's got it's had a lot more defenders over the years. Are you with the people who are like, OK, at last justice for Rogue One. Now we can, you know, finally appreciate this story rogue one was pretty well appreciated in its time i think its esteem has just grown Am as I opposed to solo i feel like it was controversial yeah. uh i think you might be reading that one okay all right fair I'll, enough uh, pull a marge That's... gunderson i'm not sure i agree 100 <laughs> with your police work on that one but <laughs> fair. i think it was it was pretty well received so this is what you might be picking up on is there was a lot of controversy about rogue one before it came out because there were all of these rumors about reshoots Oh, yes, yes. That The production was and, famously messy. And it was famously messy. And I remember writing, like, seeing some of these reports come out, and it was like, they're reshooting 30% of the movie. They're reshooting 50% of the movie. They're reshooting 90% of the movie. <laughs> and it was like, okay, at that point, I started checking in with my sources. And this was, you know, the story report I ended up doing was controversial with, because there were a lot of uh, our fellow journalists who were out there saying, like, I've heard, like, it's all like, completely being reshot. And my reporting showed, well, they're bringing in Tony Gilroy. They are reshooting new scenes. There is a whole month of reshoots planned, partly because it's such a big cast that it was hard to get yeah. everybody back at the same time. And mm -hmm. you don't need everybody back at the same time because they're not all, it's not all group shots, right? Sometimes it's just, you know, it's Felicity Jones and Diego and it's Felicity sure. and, uh, you know, oh, this character or these two characters together. And so they had a month of reshoots, which is extensive, uh, but they weren't reshooting like 80% of that movie. What they were doing yeah. is they restructured it. And what, what had originally happened was they went up one tower and got the plans. And then they came down that tower, ran across a beach and went up another tower to transmit them. And they realized mm -hmm. this is too long. 
This is a little too complicated. We don't have enough character building. And I had a source that told me there's a lot of reshoots that are talking in cockpits. So it was people like scenes where characters talk about their past or why they're uh-huh. doing this that were, I thought, kind of expertly woven in, but they were added on after the fact. And so yeah. there were all of these problems there, but also the notion that it was massively rewritten or over, like they re- basically did a different version of the entirely different version of the movie. Like that's partly true, but that's also like the rewriting process, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it came out, it was very well received, but I do think that notion of it being a troubled production did stick. So that yeah. might be what you're thinking. Now, Solo was one that came out and I feel there was a lot of like, ah, and you could say that had to do with the release date or the marketing, maybe. Or but its it also, own famously troubled production where the directors were fired. Uh, yeah, the directors were uh, let go and uh, Lord and Miller were let go. Ron Howard was brought in to take it over. But also you have an actor, Alden Ehrenreich, who uh, was not especially well known, stepping into one of the most famous roles of all time, played by one of the most famous actors of all time. And I think he did a great job. I, I think he's wonderful. And there are some clunky things in that film, as there are with all Star Wars movies. Uh, but there were a fair number of people who just like didn't feel that that was their Han Solo. And you can see evidence of that in the YouTube videos that people have made with like deep fakes replacing his face with Harrison Ford's like, oh, Whoa. imagine, you know, or like you could have cast this other actor who looked more like Harrison Ford. I'm not hung up on that personally. But I know a lot of people were, and that, you know, is something that the producers of these films have to take into account. A very loud group of people saying, oh, I don't don't recast classic roles. Right. I asked um, wait. Kathy. So I was just yeah. going to ask if you wanted to talk about asking Kathy Kennedy about this, because uh, you got a lot of attention from your piece. Yeah, I got a, a lot of attention, got a lot. I got a lot of attacks, I would say. I hesitate to call it criticism because I think a lot of it was not. Um, uh, I don't think they were actually reading what was said <laughs> reading comprehension like, on the internet not always what it should be well it's just like one person says the story uh says they're never going to recast characters again well she didn't say that what she yeah. said was we're not going to do luke skywalker without mark hamill's involvement and they create luke skywalker in sort of supporting cameo appearances on mandalorian and book of boba fett using mark as reference He's on set, he's in costume, he performs it, he helps almost with the direction of it, like this is how I would do it. They have a younger Mm. actor who looks sort of like him stand in. They augment the voice in ways that that approximates how he sounded when he was uh, a younger guy 30 some years ago. Do they augment his voice for that? I've actually never known how. I think they've they've rebuilt it in some way, and it's like, I'm I'm not entirely sure, so I don't want to comment on it. I'd be speculating, but it's, it's... it's a hybrid it's a technological achievement and it's a team effort and that's how i described it in our story Mm -hmm. and when when i said like this notion that you don't want to recast luke skywalker was that something born from solo and i even framed it as like one i don't i don't want to put you on the spot i don't want you to walk into a landmine here i also said i don't want to trash alden ehrenreich yeah of course that you know it was that a lesson you learned from solo that there were people who didn't really want to see the character they already know recast and that's common with a lot of things nobody wants to see uh rick from casablanca played by a different actor than humphrey bogart i didn't think this was so <laughs> controversial i thought it was interesting that like now we have the technology to sort of recreate actors for bit parts you mm-hmm. wouldn't do solo with a digitized han solo no. looking like Harrison Ford, I think that would be prohibitive, yeah. but you might have 
Luke Skywalker turn up in the Mandalorian for a few minutes for nine minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the internet really ran with it. And I got, I'm not on social, but I picked up on some of this just because it was so noisy. Uh, and a lot of other outlets wrote it up. And, and I think they really overstated what she said. And granted, the whole breadth of our conversation there was not in the main story. It was like a portion of her quote. And now and, people can read the whole breadth of the conversation. You have and then the whole Q&A went Q&A. up. And I made sure yeah. that part was verbatim, like the whole whole framing of the question you could listen to the audio if you wanted uh her all of her ums and maybes you know were <laughs> woven in there and i think you know interestingly like that that i think it kind of chilled people out like oh okay she's thinking out loud and she's talking about you know how yeah. they have to get how they have to weigh the many different reactions unfortunately you know and this is what i really despise about twitter is it amp- amplified the worst, least charitable perspective on what was being commented on. And then people like really let their over. They, I think they overreacted to it, you know, yeah. and uh, I don't mind saying that. Like it was an overreaction. There were people even theorizing that I set her up and that she wasn't even talking about solo. She just said, we've learned various lessons and that I was set. And I'm like, OK, well, that's not what happened. Like that yeah, would be out yeah. of context. And I think the full context of the question, you know, I, I'm bringing my personal feelings into this now. But like, you know, I, I, well, it's not nice to be accused of like misrepresentation, you know, yeah. and it, that's dishonest and not true. And that's a that's a pretty terrible thing to throw out casually. And I think it, I've proven that that's not the case, but also like. She wasn't throwing him under a bus. She wasn't trashing him. She wasn't no. blaming the movie on him. But she's um, far, she's far too smart and far too experienced in Hollywood to do something like you that. Know, we're, we're we're trying to figure how we're going to present legacy characters, whether we present them, whether we explore them at all, like whether yeah. we need to move fully beyond Skywalker. And unfortunately, I don't know how we solve this problem. I think it exists not just in Star Wars, but across every subject. Is everybody overreacts to everything? Sure. It's fun to overreact, I guess, isn't it? It's fun to get yeah. mad. Um, let's go back to Andor real mm-hmm. quick before we yeah. then, I guess, breeze through the rest of the Star Wars <laughs> slate. Um, the thing that intrigued me in your piece, and tell me if I'm reading this right, that Mon Mothma's story is going to be on Coruscant. Like, that's yes. where the head of the, um, not the Empire, whatever, the government that she is part of at that point in the story, or the resistance that she's part of. And Coruscant, I remember from one of the prequels, as like, you know, this big Star Wars city, and I don't feel like we saw enough of it uh i feel really intrigued by the idea of revisiting that planet specifically yeah that's like you know in star wars every planet has like one ecosystem or one Mm -hmm. geographic feature it's like the snow planet the forest moon uh and coruscant is like a metropolis planet like the whole planet is a city and it has the upper levels which is sort of like the 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 ruling class the wealthy and the Jedi, you know, the Jedi Temple, the Galactic Senate. And then it has the underclass, literally underclass. Like they yeah. live in the layers sort of closer to the core of the planet. And Mon Mothma, you know, that was, so that was the subject of the, of the George Lucas series, live action Star Wars series, Underworld, that never got off the ground back in the early 2000s, late to, late, the late 2000s and early 2010s. Um, uh, was going to be set in those sort of uh, those lower levels of Coruscant, and what what Mon Mo- where Mon Mothma exists is she's still a senator. She's trying to control. You know, all those people who during the Trump era were like, "We're trying to change the system from within." I'm you the know, resistance we're to, from within the Trump administration. I'm the resistance within, like, so she's trying to manage 
the Empire and the Emperor from the Galactic Senate, uh, but she is gradually becoming a rebellion leader. Mm-hmm. And what Gilroy said, what I he didn't have to say, and it really surprised me, was they don't meet in the first season. Yeah, I was intrigued by that too. That's where I brought, that's when my mind really started to think of Better Call Saul, because if you think of the character of Mike, right, like that sort of gritty, hard-bitten fixer who is so interwoven with the Saul character in Breaking Bad, uh, but in Better Call Saul, you know, the two know each other and they interact a lot in the early seasons, but now in the later seasons, Mike is off kind of doing his own thing and like they only occasionally cross paths with, with, uh, the Saul Goodman character. And I mm-hmm. think Mon Mothman, she's going to be, she's going to be, I don't know, like the, have her own storyline, like in the Galactic Senate while Cassie and Andor is, uh, is, is, is building his way up from street, uh, street criminal to uh, rebel spy. That's a hard thing to pull off. You know, I think like you, you, people can really tune out when stories are parallel in that way and don't intersect enough. I'm interested to see how they meet that challenge. I think you have to make the intersections really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you can tolerate like, okay, over here, a different thing is happening. But at a certain point, those have to collide and have an impact on each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of watching two cars traveling down very long roads and you know they're going to crash at this intersection. You're just waiting for that crash and watching them build speed. And so there has to be uh, there has to be the dramatic tension of we know eventually they will meet so what is it that's going to bring them together well i imagine that's how obi-wan will function a lot of ways too like you're waiting for the moment when they come face to face again but i i would guess they are going to make us wait a little while in that season before that happens you gotta build it up right yeah um okay let's jump further into the future i mean you mentioned the mandalorian in your story there's not a ton of detail about it you know we don't there's less to learn because we've been in that world but anything in particular from mandalorian that we should anticipate or even how it overlaps with any of this? Well, I think uh, what I can tell you is that when I visited the volume and visited the set, they were shooting Mandalorian volume or part three, mm-hmm. chapter three, season three. And, uh, you know, I saw the set. Well, I was a lot. I, I can reveal what was on the set. I, I can say there are, there's a fight happening and it's Ooh. inside of uh, I can say who's fighting, but I don't think that gives away too much. Right. There's got to be sure. a fight. They there, aren't solving their pro- they aren't solving their problems with words. <laughs> that show galaxy, has been known but, to have some fights. Um, but there's, uh, you know, it's sort of inside of a cavern that has these sort of tech components built into the wall. So it's some place that's, you know, has some sort of human or alien yeah. When I say human, I mean, like, look, the Wookiees yeah. and all of these other creatures, they all exist sort of as humans. Sure. Right? The sentient beings have have have, uh, you know, constructed something inside of this cavern. And so uh, that's what you're going to see there. That doesn't tell you much about Mandalorian season three, except that we know the child and Din Djar and the character played by Pedro Pascal are going to continue their relationship. There's a father son thing happening there. And uh Here's what I think I can tease might be interesting to people in the story. Uh, Kathy Kennedy notes that, you know, she brought John Favreau and Dave Filoni together to work on the Mandalorian mm-hmm. Filoni. As I said, he was the apprentice of George Lucas. He came on to work in animation, steeped in star Wars lore, has ambitions to direct live action. She put them together and Dave and John revealed to me well, one of the reasons she put them together is they both had ideas about Mandalorians. John Favreau had uh, this idea of like a lone gunslinger, the story we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, a bounty hunter who pairs up with this child and has to figure out how to take care of it. 
And Filoni was interested in expanding upon the Clone Wars and the Mandalorian characters that he featured there, who were, you know, part of the leadership royal family of Mandalore. And he, he hinted at, and eventually they revealed some of the destruction of that planet that really scattered the Mandalorians and made them rare in the galaxy. They were mm-hmm. a, you know, a planet of people. And where did they all go? Uh, you know, they're the victim of a, of a, of a galactic genocide. It's the only word. And a whole planet is basically exterminated. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to explore like the leadership and the, the history of the Mandalorian people, almost like a royal, I don't know, well, like a six, uh, again, this is me, not him describing it, but yeah. think of succession, like the power players uh, of the Mandalorian okay. world, like okay. and how they interact. And I, you know, we've, we've seen uh, Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica turn up as this character, Bo-Katan in, uh, in the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the characters that Dave you know, helped create and is really interested in and her relationship to her family and the dark saber that is at the core of the Mandalorian. Like, that is like a royal object. Whoever holds that, like uh, they have to win it in battle. And it's sort of like, it's almost like winning the mantle of, of mm-hmm. leadership. Uh, think of like Black Panther and how Black Panther in the Marvel universe can be challenged. And if you yeah. defeat him, maybe you're the next Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, there's there's this, an aspect to that that's woven into the Mandalorian. So I would expect that to come to fruition too, is we're going to see that dark saber. We're going to see probably more Mandalorians. and. Uh, I would uh, I would bet good money that Bo-Katan and Katie Sackhoff return, okay. uh, you know, and, and what exactly it means to be a Mandalorian and what becomes of those people. That's that's the trajectory of this show. I don't think I'm spoiling anything yeah. to say that that's where it's headed. And that's, you know, if they go off and it's just like a cooking show between Mando and Baby Yoda, I think that I would, would watch really- it. I'd I would watch still it. watch it, but that would be a that would be a sharp turn from where a they surprise. are. Well, that's, yeah. that's what I've enjoyed about that show to, so much. Is like as someone who doesn't know a ton about Star Wars, the episodic nature of it, and the way that it can kind of twist and turn and always return to that dynamic between the two of them. It really keeps me going with it. Um, Star and, and, and I never know what's going to happen next. Star Wars has to keep it casual. Mm. Um, it has to keep inviting people like you into that world instead yeah. of closing it off. Sometimes, I think. The gravity of the hardcore fans can be overwhelming. They want things to go super deep. They want this in Marvel too. It's not just Star Wars. You know, there's yeah. all this theorizing every time a Marvel trailer comes out about what secret thing is going to be revealed. And it's like, uh, usually it's just the bad guy you expect, and there's a big fight at the end. <laughs> like they very rarely deliver the mind-blowing, mind-bending lore that some of the hardcore fans anticipate and speculate about and that's because most people would be lost if they did that you yes, know i'm here I would telling you about be lost i'm here telling you about mandalorian history and and the dark saber but i'm trying to contextualize it in a way that you'll be able to follow and if you introduce it in the context of a show if you lead me to it within the show that i'm watching then I'm, i'll go there but yeah. you can't the, the homework aspect of it is what you can't expect from people you can't and i think Star Wars has to keep that casual and the fans who want it to be like this deep, dark dive, this dense dive into, uh, into lore that you can get in expanded universe things like books. Sure. Uh, or you can spend that time on it. They don't realize that the story has to keep moving. It has to be exciting. It has to be in the moment, not rehashing 
thousands of years of history. <laughs> you, you, you can build in a little, every story has a certain structure to it that allows you to, to, to weigh some exposition on top. You know, I just did a Q and a with uh, the team that made Loki and Michael Waldron, the head writer on Loki said they created miss minutes, the little animated clock mm -hmm. on that oh, yeah. series, mm -hmm. just so they could explain some of the logic in a quick way. Yeah. You know, yeah, and you know, and Loki. So I probably follow Marvel about as extensively as I do Star Wars, where I watch a lot, but I don't like catch up on the lore. And I loved Loki. And I think exactly because they were successful in doing what you're talking about. So the fans that want, they want, they want to be, they don't want to, like, they, they always sort of turn up their nose at fan service, like little lines or references or things like that. They like almost like those are cheap, mm. they, but they want these deep, introspective dives and like i'm sorry but you would lose the mainstream audience and you need the mainstream audience because somebody's got to pay for these movies and these TV well, shows. And like you want your you want your show to be for a lot of people and mm -hmm. i think you know there are a lot of times like you know when harry Styles shows up at the end of whichever marvel he showed up at the end of uh and i had no clue who he was but people were satisfied by it i, I can accept like all right that's something i don't get but i get that he's a scary guy and move on like there are ways to to mm -hmm. to loop it in there without losing people like me and, you know what? Marvel does that. And I think there's actually, a, I don't know this for sure. Nobody's ever articulated it to me, but I think there's a strategy involved. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into the books, the comic books. Let's pull out a couple characters that mainstream people don't know. Harry Styles is playing this character. Uh, and you might not know who he is at the end, but neither yeah. do the Eternals, right? They're yeah, like, yeah, who yeah. is this guy? Yeah. And it leads people to go, all right, I'm going to look that up. And it launches a thousand articles of Harry Styles' mystery cameo explained. Mm -hmm. And um, by the time he appears again, you're going to know who that character is, right? Or even at the uh, at the end of Loki, Jonathan Majors, who is an actor I've just adored forever, he shows up as, uh, oh, no, God, I used to know it. it's not Kroll. What is it? What's his thing? What's his Kang the Conqueror. Kang. But, he, but he's not. But the thing is, he's not Kang the Conqueror. Okay, well, he's... hang on. Don't even don't even go that far with me. I had no clue who he was. But I was like, he's charismatic. He's interesting. He's powerful. I don't know what's going he, on, but I'm with it. He's playing a guy who is a scientist who discovers the multiverse. And so he creates this sort of time lord. That's another loaded phrase from Dr. Hoover. Like, <laughs> he, he creates this sort of time regulation bureaucracy. To yeah. prevent versions of himself from from becoming tyrants and just yeah. and, and waging war between the various dimensions. Yeah. And so he kind of becomes the thing he's trying to prevent, like a kind of time tyrant. Yeah. They kill him at the end. Spoiler alert. Sorry, yeah. a little late there. And what he says is, well, you're going to be seeing me again. Mm -hmm. and, and so he's that version of the character is called He Who Remains. Very spooky kind of Barry. title for him. What it implies, and we know that Jonathan Majors will be playing this character, Kang the Conqueror, who's just like a, a bad guy, a, a, a tyrant like a, yeah. who exists in the Marvel Universe. And basically, uh, you've killed me. Now all of me, all of the other me's and the other dimensions are going to run amok. And one mm -hmm. of those will be Kang the Conqueror. Okay, and see, so, I'm learning something. So now you know, and knowing's half the battle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but that's what Marvel does is they introduce these characters in little cameos and make you go, well, who is that Charlize Theron character? And by yeah. the time she shows up, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting of explaining it to people, you know? Well, this actually leads great to talking about Ahsoka, which is the next show is coming in 2023 because she's somebody who, when she shows up in The Mandalorian, it's in, she shows up in season one, right? Near the end yeah. of season one? Okay. So she shows up and I'm like, all right, this is someone who people know, but Rosario Dawson and the show itself, I think, 
in her really brief appearances, do a really good job of like establishing her as a competent Jedi, as someone who you want to follow through the world, as someone who has charisma all her own. So then I see that her show, you know, it'll be kind of a continuous story, I think is what they said, not standalones like The Mandalorian. And it'll follow on plots about her from the Clone Wars. But I feel like I already know her enough that I don't need to have that background to understand the show. You don't. You need she you need you picked up all of the things you need to know about Ahsoka. And if there's more you want to know, may I present seven ep- seven seasons of the Clone Wars <laughs> yeah. to you? And and not only the Clone Wars, she then turns up as an important character in Rebels. So there are okay. multiple seasons of that, that that will tell you her full backstory. But it's kind of like meeting a person in in real life. Like like when you and I met for the first time, you don't know everything about me. Mm-hmm. And gradually over time, you learn this or that, and you know what you need to know. And then the more you become friends with somebody, the more you learn about who they are. And yeah. that, I think, is sort of the way you have to present characters is you can't have her pop up and have everybody go, oh, right. Like there will be some people who know who she is and know her background. But otherwise, you've got to have somebody like the Mandalorian who's like, well, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And she kind of explains that. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. So we don't know a ton about her show either. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, uh, Lucasfilm will not confirm whether she's on it, but uh, her husband, Ewan McGregor, will in your face. She's on it. They were, they mean, were like, they were like, well, I guess you've got that one. Like, because, you know, because <laughs> there's always a fight. Like, can we get a little more news in this story? Like uh-huh. re- reveals. And everybody's very good about not teasing things. But Ewan McGregor was just like, yeah, you know, Mary's going to be on Ahsoka, which had been rumored. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, Lucasfilm was like, OK, they're not denying it. Well, but the, and the same, a similar thing with Hayden Christensen, where they wouldn't confirm that he's on it. But Rosario Dawson seemed to confirm that he's on it. Uh, so that seems thorny. That's a little bit more vague. The story she told me was she read a trade report that said, Hayden Christensen will be returning as Anakin Skywalker in the Ahsoka series. And it makes sense. He was her mentor. And I think she will be haunted by what happened to, to Anakin Skywalker. So it'll be a flashback that he would appear on it, something like that. But yeah, but Vader is dead by the time we see her in Mandalorian, right? Okay. He, so yes. it's not like Vader himself will be popping up unless Ahsoka is set before his death, right? Which is also a possibility, frankly. We don't know when it's set. We we do have the implication. What Dave Filoni told me was, I'm continuing the story that we're introducing. Like they're laying a little bit of foundation and, and exposition with her appearance in The Mandalorian and her appearance in Book of Boba Fett. We know she's okay. searching for this scary imperial figure known as Thrawn, mm-hmm. who has a huge legacy in all those expanded universe books that I talked about. Uh-huh. Um. But otherwise, you don't know who Thrawn is, no, and don't. you don't have to know. You yeah. need to know he's a scary Imperial guy, and she's trying to find him. Now, if you watch the animated shows, you'll realize when he vanishes, he's kind of lost at sea. His starship gets, uh, in a way that's too complicated to explain, gets blasted off into deep space, lost okay. at sea, lost in space. And with him goes the hero, the young hero of Rebels, a character named Ezra Bridger, who was a criminal. A little thief, a young child thief, street kid who rises up and becomes through the ranks to become like a rebel. One of the one of the original rebel leaders okay, or soldiers and uh, early on in the at the start of the rebellion. So he vanishes along with this big bad guy. So when she says in The Mandalorian 
to the villain that she's fighting. I want to know where Thrawn is. I Everybody see. who watched that was like, she's trying to find her friend Ezra. Like, why else would she be looking for Thrawn? Well, there are a million reasons she might be looking for Thrawn. But a good guess is she wants to track him down to find out what happened to the other guy who disappeared. So she's continuing her story of where they where she was left at the end of Clone Wars. Yeah, Course. and Dave Filoni said we're you know I'm uh, that's a hint of where this story is going. Her ep- her episodes will not just be uh, standalone little Ahsoka going through the galaxy like the A team <laughs> visiting planet yeah. after planet well, like helping the folks. That's kind of what the Mandalorian that. is, but I don't think you can have all of the shows be that, right? No, no, you can't. Yeah, you can have sort of this week's episode, but I think Ahsoka. Ahsoka already is just part of such a much larger narrative. And, you know, the end of Rebels featured her aged up and in a white costume, implying that she is somehow like elevated or changed. Like she's a changed person when we see her there, just a brief glimpse. And I think what the Ahsoka live action series will do is in some way uh, show us how she goes from the character of, of this sort of wandering Ronin that we see in The Mandalorian to this mm-hmm. sort of wise, sort of almost otherworldly figure. Yeah. Still uh, at, still at that point, though, looking for Ezra. Um, well, and like that which, kind which, of which like... sounds like a 90s band. I know. <laughs> but also like when you have the plot of like this powerful person who you know already mm-hmm. is trying to find somebody. Like that is a quest narrative that you can jump into immediately even yeah. if you don't have the background for, sure. for it. And you don't need the background. Like you can fi- mm-hmm. figure out that background. You can You can figure out why this ring has to be thrown into a volcano. As, <laughs> I'll tell yeah. you on the way, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. kind of what it is. Um, okay, let's do the last show. Well, I guess there's two shows. There's there's the Grammar Rodeo, which is the John Watts show that we yeah. really don't know much about at all. Um, probably, like, possibly an Amblin-style, Goonies-esque vibe, right? Yes, that's what I, I got officially from people at Lucasfilm. Uh, it stars, some of its main characters are kids, but that doesn't mean they're the, the solo leads there might be other adult characters but we know that there was a casting announcement for four children or young like tweenish age kids mm-hmm. uh and the name grammar rodeo refers to an episode of the simpsons where bart and his pals uh illegally rent a car and go on a road trip to tennessee <laughs> and uh Great. and uh they tell their parents that they're going they they've uh that they have like an academic trip planned that they're going to the grammar rodeo. And, <laughs> and, and so what that with these, these titles, you know, these code name titles are not meant to give things away, but they kind of imply things like the, t- the, the, the code title for, uh, for the Avengers was group hug. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always something like a little bit ironic about them, you know? Sure. And I think, okay, now that we know that there are like a lot of kid characters in this, it's the idea of kids going uh, uh, going on an yeah, adventure, going on an adventure that, that's not sanctioned, right? That, that <laughs> yeah. maybe doesn't have uh, chaperones on it. I think yeah. that's my guess. And John Watts, who you know made the uh, uh, Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man films with Tom Holland, like he's good with young people. He's good mm-hmm. got that those YA chops in a way. And he uh, walked away from a Marvel project, presumably to make this. I guess they're kind of happening at the same time and maybe just Fantastic Four was too much for him. We don't really know why that didn't happen or what yeah. what, what went wrong, but people are always horse trading uh, on big, big titles. You know, the uh, guys who made Game of Thrones signed up to make a Star Wars trilogy. Then they signed a huge Netflix deal and they backed out of the Star Wars trilogy. And 
Well, the uh, thing Ryan, that Kathy Kennedy said in your piece is like, this is a four or five year commitment. Like you're not doing something else while you do this. Yeah. They don't want filmmakers coming in and saying, okay, I could spend two years in Star Wars land. She's like, mm-hmm. you know, we want you to come in and like do some persistent storytelling. Yeah. You know, they felt like there was a little bit of zigzagging with the, uh, uh, between the force awakens and the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker. That's not to trash any filmmaker. or No, I would say vision. that was pretty public. Z- I mean, switching filmmakers and back again, that is a zigzag. Yeah. And I noted that, you know, the last Jedi closed off some storylines. It killed Snoke. They resolved yeah. to a degree what, who Ray's parents were. And like, uh, you know, that, that was something, uh, there wasn't a lot of like open space left after that. Like they had to come mm. up with some new stuff for the third installment of that series. And you can like what Ryan did and still acknowledge that that's true, right? That that kind yeah. of put a punctuation mark at the end of certain narratives that were begun in the force awakens. Now, um, you know, everybody likes to position it as the filmmakers who are at war with each other. I think it's more just like, this is the song I want to sing. This is a song you want to sing. I'm going to, you know, try and bring it back around, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, an argument for keeping people in the building for as long as you can to yeah, really have things I, uh, be consistent. I, th- I don't think anybody would disagree that it's better. It, you know, there's a, maybe just a little less narrative whiplash if you are, if you have one person deciding this is where it goes. Yeah. You know. Um, okay. Let's end on The Acolyte, uh, which yeah. you mentioned earlier is the Leslie Headland show set 100 years before The Phantom Menace. Um kind of like a Roman Empire before the fall vibe. Like if everything in Star Wars is dirty, this is everything when it was first built and it was all shiny and new. That's that's how what I asked her about. In, and one, I want to say, I really enjoy talking to everybody in that cover story, but Leslie Headland is a... Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the reviews director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.